0: Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 1015. Our study through the book of 1 Peter has brought us this morning to verses 24 and 25. So that'll be our text... um, this morning, but I want to go ahead and read beginning in verse 21 just to give us the, the, the context here. Actually, we'll go ahead and start reading verse 18. So, I'd ask you to stand once again for the reading of God's word, please. Let's hear the word of God together. Beginning in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. Please be seated. Last week, Peter explained that believers have been called to endure unjust suffering. As disciples of Christ, we follow him down the path of suffering. And Jesus has left us the perfect example of enduring unjust suffering. Jesus did not sin. He did not retaliate. He did not threaten his his abusers. Rather, he simply trusted God his Father to sustain him. And so that is the example for us. No sin, no retaliation, simply trusting God to sustain us, to sanctify us, and vindicate us in the end, just as Christ was vindicated through the resurrection. So last week we considered Christ's example of enduring unjust suffering. But today I I want us to understand that Christ's suffering and death on the cross is far more than just an example for us. So many people think that about, about the cross. When they, you know, when around Easter time or whenever they consider the cross, they think, yeah, man, Jesus died on the cross. What, a, what an example of, of sacrifice. What an example of love. And it is all those things. It is certainly the greatest example of love. But it's more than an example. Christ's suffering, his His death on the cross accomplished something. And here at the end of chapter 2, as Peter has lifted up Christ as this perfect, perfect example of enduring unjust suffering, Peter goes on to declare that Christ's suffering has accomplished our salvation. More than just an example, his suffering, his life, death, and his resurrection, his finished work has attained our salvation. He atoned for our sins. He secured our justification. He purchased our redemption. He mediated our reconciliation. He empowered our sanctification. And He guaranteed our glorification. Christ's life, death, and resurrection has accomplished our salvation. And that's what we want to consider this morning. The title of the the message today is, What a Savior. I think it was last week we sang that song, right? Hallelujah, what a Savior. And I want to work through verses 24 and 25 under three headings that describe this amazing and, and beautiful salvation that Christ has worked for us. And my prayer today is that all of us will leave this sermon saying of Christ, what a Savior. So that's our plan today. Three headings. Number one is sin-bearing substitution. If you want to take notes as we try to work our way through those two verses, 24 and 25, the first heading is sin-bearing substitution. Look at verse 24. Speaking of Christ, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Wow, what important words those are. He Himself Jesus himself bore our sins. Jesus was personally involved in saving us. This was not just a a decree from heaven, right? This was not just a, a drone strike from a thousand miles away. No, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, entered into this fallen world. He took on a human nature in order to personally pay for our sins as our substitute. He himself bore our sins, what a, what a verb that is, right? What a picture that is. Bore. I mean, you hear it just in the word. It means to carry a massive heavy weight. Jesus bore our sins. The heavy load of our sins was, was placed upon Jesus on the cross. The word sin, it means to, to fall short. It literally means to miss the mark. The idea is to fall short. We fall short of God's standard. We fall short... Morally, sin is against God personally and directly. So let us consider just for a moment what was placed upon our Lord Jesus Christ. It was our sins. It was us sinning against God. Against God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It was us sinning against God, breaking His commands. It was us rebelling against His rule. Sin is ugly and wicked. And yet this is what was transferred to our Lord Jesus. You know, again, I'm not going to catalog every, every sin. You can do that. But I did just start thinking about how repulsive sin is. Right? I mean, many sins, even you know, sins like lying. Or, or sins like abuse or adultery or murder. Those are repulsive to us. They're, they're repulsive to us as fallen creatures even. But think how... Ugly and repulsive they are to a holy God. And yet Jesus, God the Son, bore those sins. He took those sins upon himself. So there he is on the cross, bearing the sins of his people, bearing our sins. Those are not Jesus' sins. No, the Bible is very clear. Jesus was sinless. Yeah, I mean, Peter has said it right in this passage, right up in verse 22. He committed no sin. And that's specifically in the context of, of he didn't sin against his retaliators, right? When, or, sorry, he didn't sin against his abusers. He didn't retaliate, right? But we know his whole life he was sinless. He never sinned. Jesus is the only man to ever live a perfect life as a man under God's law. His entire life, he did what this passage talked about. His entire life he was trusting his Father, obeying his Father, depending on his Father, loving and honoring his Father. He obeyed his Father perfectly. He carried out his Father's will perfectly all the way to dying on a cross. So Christ was without sin. And that's, that's why I gave this heading, substitution. Right? That's what Peter is driving home here. He's making it clear that Christ's is suffering for our sins. His suffering and death was a substitutionary atonement. He was paying for our sins. He himself bore our sins. He's suffering for the sins of his people. That's who the hour is. Right, Peter's speaking to believers. Jesus bore the sins of all who would believe in him. And last week we heard from Isaiah 53, and again Peter is 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 um, there's echoes of what Peter says from, from Isaiah 53. No doubt the Spirit was bringing that passage to his mind, to that passage that speaks of the suffering servant. Listen to Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5, speaking of this suffering servant. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Peter will quote that directly in just another verse, won't he? All of our sins were transferred to Christ. And that Isaiah 53 paints a picture of of what what that entailed <laughs> he was considered smitten by God he was being smitten by God he bore the weight of our sin another uh, cross reference to take note of is 2 Corinthians 5 21 speaks of what Peter is right here so we've got the apostle Peter is our main text but then we also have the apostle Paul teaching the same things Second Corinthians 5 21 for our sake God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That sums up the work of Christ in one verse. Jesus who knew no sin, Jesus who had never sinned, Jesus who himself was pure and holy and right, he became sin. For us, he took all that evil upon himself, becoming our sin bearing Savior on the cross. Why was he doing that? Well, Jesus was paying the penalty for the sins of his people. And so when we consider Christ bearing those sins, suffering, and dying on the cross, understand he's paying the penalty for our sins. That's what Peter goes on to explain, doesn't he? Verse 24, "He himself bore our sins in His body on the tree." Again, that phrase, "in his body is kind of like he himself. It reminds us this was, this was not just a, 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 a transaction that takes place in heaven, although it is that. <laughs> but this is a very being done in a very real and personal way. Jesus suffered physically. He bore our sin. He bore our punishment. And again, that shows us the holiness of God when we look at, when we read the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels on the road to Golgotha. It shows us the the heinousness of sin, it shows us the holiness of God. Think of what happened to Jesus. He was mocked, he was slapped, he was spat upon, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was pierced, and he was crucified. All to pay for our sins. By his wounds, Peter will say in a moment, we are healed. Christ's suffering was not just physical, by the way, right? That's, of course, what we think of, and, it, and that there was physical suffering, intense physical suffering. But when Peter says, on the tree, I think he's thinking about the way Christ suffered spiritually, or we could say relationally as well. Right Tree refers to the cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And that word tree harkens back to what the Old Testament taught back in Deuteronomy 21-23. That said, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So Jesus is the, is the picture of being cursed by God. And he is actually being cursed by God. Again, Paul teaches this in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He was cursed for us. Cursed means to be rejected by God. It literally means to be damned by God for breaking his Laws. And so on the cross, Jesus bore the sins of his people. And as he did that, he was being forsaken by his father. And that's why he calls out, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That perfect relationship that they had always enjoyed, Father, Son, Spirit, that from eternity past, that perfect relationship of love and joy and peace and delight in one another On the cross that was broken. For the first time, Jesus experienced something different from his father. He experienced the father's wrath. He experienced the the separation that sin brings. For hours on the cross, Jesus was cut off from his father and Jesus was cursed by his father. Experiencing the full fury of God's wrath against sin, right? I mean, we can't even comprehend that. And, and I know words fall short, really, but the Spirit will help us to grasp what we need to, that Jesus bore the curse that we deserved because of our sins, But again, like Galatians says, because Jesus did that, he redeems us from that curse. Jesus saves sinners from the curse of God that we deserve by becoming a curse for us. Again, the Bible teaches that death and damning separation is God's punishment for sin. And so by suffering and dying on the cross, Jesus was paying that penalty for his people. Remember, Jesus had not sinned, so he didn't deserve that. He's paying the penalty of our sins. And that's why we read Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. We see the, we talked about this the last Sunday night um, with the young people, right? At the cross, we see God's justice and his mercy or grace or love. We see those things intersecting at the cross, don't we? God does not excuse our sin. He does not just brush it under the the rug. No, His justice demands that our sin be punished, but in His great love, He sent His own Son to bear that punishment in our place. And the good news is, Jesus completely satisfied God's just wrath against our sins. The, the Bible often pictures that as a cup, right? The cup of God's wrath. A cup that made Jesus stagger, but yet he, out of obedience to his Father and for the glory of his Father and out of love for his, us, his people, he drank that cup to its very dregs. He's fully, his life death, his, his life, his, his suffering, his sacrificial death, fully paid For our sins. It fully satisfied God's wrath. That's why John calls Jesus' death a propitiation. It's a sacrifice that satisfies and turns away God's wrath. It's It's a sacrifice that quenches God's wrath. So again, think of where we would be without Christ. Without Christ, we would spend an eternity separated from God in hell but because of Christ because Christ has paid it in full we know that all of us who are in Christ through faith will be with God forever in heaven and that's why we sing that beautiful what we sing about the power of the cross today right and then I was thinking also about in Christ alone when it says till on the cross As Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. If you're in Christ today, there's no more wrath for you, because Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's been paid in full, and that's why that song goes on to say, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. I know that Jesus has paid it all. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that God will welcome me into heaven, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus has paid it all. That is an amazing gift. It it, it truly is amazing grace. It's like we pinch ourselves every day, don't we, when we think about that. So I I hope you're encouraged by what Peter's saying today. Jesus has provided the sin-bearing substitutionary sacrifice for us. So Christian, today you no longer live under the fear of God's judgment. You no longer live under the fear of God's wrath. You have peace with God because of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, in your place. So that's the first heading the sin-bearing substitution. But Peter goes on to explain what Christ accomplished there on the cross. Not only was he paying the penalty for our sins, but he also secured for us a life-changing transformation. And that's the second heading. A life-changing transformation. Christ's death on the cross was yes, was a sin-bearing substitution, praise God. But may we also rejoice that it provides a life-changing, it secured for us a life-changing transformation. Look at what he says. Again, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then look what he says. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ gave his life for that purpose. That we would die to sin and live to righteousness. You say, what does that mean? Well, again, think about Christ's perfect life, right? So that made him a sinless sacrifice. So we think about his death. But he didn't stay dead, did he? No, on the third day he rose again. And his resurrection showed that he defeated sin and death. So Christ, in his death and resurrection, is victorious. He has defeated sin and death. And here's the amazing part of that, too, is that in Christ, when we believe in Christ through faith, we are united to Christ, and so we share in that victory. Right? We're talking about this in our Sunday school class. We're, we're just getting into it. I invite you out on, at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, right? Right? We're going to talking about our union with Christ. And, and the Bible says that when we trust in Christ as our Savior, we're actually placed into Christ, which means, among other things, we are united to His death and resurrection. We are united to His death and resurrection. And so what is true of Christ is now true of each of you who are in Christ. You are united with Christ in death and resurrection. So that means just as Jesus died and rose again victoriously, so you have died. You have died to the ruling power of sin, and you've been given new life that's now free from sin's bondage. Isn't this amazing? What a, what a Savior He is. Not Christ suffered and died not only so we could be in heaven with Him forever, but also so we would be given new life here on earth. So we would be new creations. Right? When, when God saves us through faith in Christ, the Spirit indwells us and we are born again. We're made new creations. Now we have a new heart that is no longer enslaved to sin. So in Christ we have died to sin and are alive righteousness this is a fact for every believer right this is what we picture when we have a baptism right we picture what has already taken place in a believer's life spiritually their old self that was enslaved to sin is lowered into the waters symbolizing a burial and then it comes up out of the water symbolizing that resurrection if you are a believer in christ this is true of you You have died to sin, and you've been raised to righteousness. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) Because you're maybe sitting there thinking, but I still struggle a lot with sin, don't I? We do. Right? We've talked about that. We still have remaining sin. We still fall short of what we're meant to be. But what Peter is telling us is there's been a dramatic break from sin. There's been a dramatic transformation take place in us. We have died to sin. It is no longer our master. Jesus has changed the very character of our lives. We used to live for sin. We used to live for ourselves. But now we have died to sin. We've died to that rebellion to God. Now we have hearts that, though still struggle with sin, want to please God. We want to live for Him. He has totally changed the direction of our lives, and He has totally freed us. From that bondage. We've been been transformed from living to sin to living to righteousness. The Spirit puts us on day by day a new path. That's what this path of righteousness talks about. Being conformed to the standard of God. Right now we long to, to live according to Christ's commands. By the way, this glorious truth is taught throughout the New Testament. I don't have time to share all the passages, but some, some big ones that came to my mind. Romans 6, you can just jot these down, I'll read them for you. Romans 6, 1 through 4 teaches the same thing of our union with Christ's life, or excuse me, his death and resurrection. Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Isn't that beautiful? Believer, you have been set free to live a new life, to walk in newness of life, because you are no longer enslaved to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, talking about all his people, therefore all have died. All those who are in Christ have died, it says, verse 14. And he died for all that those who live, those of us who are in Christ, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then it goes on in the... Two verses later to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because of Christ's victorious work on the cross, we are transformed. We are new creations. Colossians 3, verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Isn't this a beautiful uh, blessing of the gospel? Christ didn't only purchase our, our eternity in heaven, although he did that. But he also gave us new life here. We are no longer under the enslaving power of sin. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a new heart that loves God and wants to follow Christ. Sin is no longer our master. So here's how this should be played out in our day-to-day lives. Now when we hear sin's call, because we still live in a fallen world and we still have remaining sinful desires. But now when we hear the, the siren call of sin, this is where we preach the gospel to ourselves and we say, no, that, that's no longer who I am. I have died to sin. I am a new creation in Christ. And, and we pray, we, we, we ask for God's help, we say, God, help me be who you've already made me to be. Help me to live out who I am in Christ. Spirit, the, the, Spirit, uh, the Bible promises that God always, through his Spirit, provides a way of escape from every temptation. And so when we're tempted, we can say, I'm a new creation. Spirit, help me to follow down the path of righteousness that you are leading me on right now. Help me not give in to this sinful desire. Yes, we still struggle with sin, and yes, we still too often fail and and, and fall back into sin. But take heart, that does not change who you are in Christ. I heard one pastor say this line, I thought it was very helpful. When the Bible talks about our sanctification, it's not talking about the perfection of our lives, but the direction of our lives. And that's what Christ has done. He has transformed us. We used to be just following the devil down the path of destruction. We used to be just like the world, following the course of of this world, just living for ourselves. But now he has totally changed our direction. And now we live for Christ. And now when we sin, we hate it, don't we? We hate it. We, we, we grieve over our sin. That's a work of the Spirit in your life. We, we, we hate that we've fallen back into sin. And so by God's grace, we confess it. We repent of it. We remember the promises of the gospel that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, we remember that we've been declared righteous. We remember that God loves us and that nothing can separate us from that love. And so we confess and, and we ask for God's help to repent of that sin we say, God, please help us. Help me to walk in newness of life. Help me to walk down this path of righteousness. So be encouraged today. If you're in Christ, you have had a life-changing um, transformation. And I think that's what, I think Peter's thinking of this, the totality of our salvation when he says, by his wounds you have been healed. All right, he says that at the end of verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Again, quoting Isaiah 53, 5. He's talking about our spiritual healing. This healing has happened to us at conversion when God saved us. The moment we were saved, we were cleansed from all of our sins. We were set free from bondage to sin. Again, think about Jesus and some of the miracles He performed those were not only showing that he was God in the flesh, but those were pictures of the salvation he brings. Think of when he cleanses the leper. Sin is like a disease in our, in our souls, isn't it? That affects us. But yet when God saves us, he heals us from that disease. We've, we've been set free from its, from its bondage, and one day it'll be eradicated from us forever for good. Think of that. We've been healed. We had the disease of sin and it was killing us. But He has healed our souls from that plague of sin. Jesus has set us free from a master that was abusing us. He has healed us from a disease that was killing us. He has shown us the vanity of of earthly pursuits. He set us free from giving ourselves over again and again to things that never satisfy Set us free. He's healed us. Christ has paid it all. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We were going away from God. We were going on that path that leads to destruction. But Christ healed us. He restored us back to our creator. And now we can walk in newness of life. Now we're no longer living according to the sinful ways of the world, but living for Christ. Christ gave himself up for us as our sin-bearing substitute and securing for us this life-changing transformation and thirdly and finally his powerful sacrifice also provides for us a soul-keeping provision his powerful sacrifice has secured in us a life-changing transformation and it's also enables or guarantees us a soul-keeping provision look at verse 25 what a beautiful picture this is of what God has, has done in our lives. For you were straying, right? He's talking to believers. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And you see our English Bibles capitalize those words, don't they? To the, our, to the shepherd, the shepherd and overseer of your soul. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying... You, when you were in your sin, you were like a stubborn, rebellious sheep that was straying. What's true of a sheep that strays away from its shepherd? It's in grave danger, isn't it? We know that about sheep, right? Sheep cannot, they cannot provide for themselves. They cannot protect themselves. They get lost. They get hurt. They, they fall over. They, get, they fall into and things that break their legs. That's how dangerous it is when we're separated from God. That's how dangerous our lives are when we're without Christ. But God in his grace sought us. Right? He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep and he goes and searches for his lost sheep and brings them back into the fold. And that's what Christ has done. And so now we're no longer separated from God Now, God is our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's adopted us into our family. Now, Jesus is our Lord and He's our shepherd. What a comfort that is to have an an all all sovereign, uh, all wise, and loving God as our shepherd. He's our shepherd all of our days. He's already laid down his life for us, and so we know that Christ will continue to provide all that we need in this life for life and godliness. When I see verse 25, I just think of how uh, secure that is. We have returned, by God's grace, to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We are secure in our salvation because Christ is our shepherd. He fights off the wolves. Satan cannot pluck us out of his hand. He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Think of what we heard in John 10. He's never going to leave us. He's not like the hired hand that just says, you know what, this is getting a little too, too hard. This is getting a little too dangerous. This is getting a little too costly. I'm tired of these dumb sheep that keep straying. No, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He is faithful. Though we are still <laughs> prone to wander, he brings us back with loving discipline, with the the shepherd's crook. He will not lose any of his sheep. We see eternal security in this verse. Christ will protect us. He will provide for us. He will lead us and protect us all the way home to glory. What a Savior he is. And as we consider this, and, and as I meditated on verse 25 this week right we've returned by God's grace to the shepherd and overseer of our souls I I couldn't help but think about those without Christ those who are still without Christ those in this room who are still without Christ let me ask you can you watch over your own soul Can you oversee your own soul? Can you provide eternal life? Can you provide salvation for yourself? Can you protect your own soul from Satan who is a roaring lion? None of us can. Without Christ, the Bible says, we're already in Satan's bondage. And that's... That's how diabolical Satan is. He deceives unbelievers into thinking they're free. Right? You may be here today and you think, I'm walking the path of freedom. I'm walking the path of independence. But no, you're really in bondage. You're in bondage to your sins. You're in bondage to the lies of the devil. And he's leading you down a path that leads to eternal destruction. Destruction. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? There's the lie Satan throws up, right? Live for yourself. Look at the world. Look at all the pleasures in this world. Satisfy your your sinful desires. But in the end, you'll lose your soul. And so my call to anyone without Christ today is come to Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He will save your soul. He will restore your soul. He will watch over and care for your soul. We can't do that. But He can and He does. He will watch over your soul all your life. Without Christ, you're in danger. Without Christ, you'll be destroyed. You'll be separated from God forever. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He gives salvation, and he gives a total salvation. And that's what we've considered today. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Christ provides a sin-bearing substitution. He also provides a life-changing transformation and soul-keeping provision. And so as I looked at those two verses, I just thought from beginning to end, Christ is a, a, a a beautiful Savior, isn't he? In Christ, we have been saved. In Christ, we are being saved. And he will protect us until his return when we will be fully and finally saved. And so again, I trust our response today is, what a Savior. What a Savior. So let's pray and then we'll praise our beautiful Savior. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you this morning. We praise you for being the good shepherd. We, we praise you for your grace. That though we were stubborn and rebellious and, and sinfully went off on our own, you did not leave us helpless. You did not leave us lost. You did not leave us vulnerable to the enemy of our souls. That you came and sought us and you had already bought us on the cross we we praise you for your your grace and your power to save thank you for for intersecting our lives with the gospel thank you for indwelling us with your holy spirit thank you for making us new creations that we can live now free that you've 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 shown us what life is all about. It's about knowing you and enjoying you and living for you. And thank you that you are with us every step of the way because we acknowledge how needy we are. We still, like foolish sheep and children, try to go off on our own sometimes and quickly fail. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray for any here today who are without Christ. May you call them to yourself. May you show them that you are the good shepherd, that you are completely trustworthy, that you are faithful, that you will be that faithful uh, shepherd and overseer of their souls. Show the power of your grace today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and Sing a final song of praise.